and he laughs right along with you. You know, I mean, I just don't imagine Peter. I just think when Peter does something dumb in the Gospels, when Jesus rebukes him, I used to hear Jesus as like this stern, authoritative, you know, uh, kind of bossy guy. Now I see him as a friend with a smirk on his face because, no, Peter, that's not it. All right? No, that's not what I'm trying to say. And Peter, okay, all right, all right, I'm going to do harder. I'm going to work harder, you know, and he's going to try to figure it out. And one of the things that happens with Peter is that he grows tremendously. We have the opportunity in the Gospels to see Peter grow. We see him stumble, we see him fall. And then as we go through the book of Acts, we see him mature. And, and when we get to First and Second Peter, we really see him as a mature man who's now looking back on his life and his journeys. And, and probably as he was in his house in Rome um, toward the end of his life, just kind of shaking his head going, I can't believe I did that, you know? Um, and yet he journeys through this. Well, Peter um, has spent the vast majority of chapter 3 talking about authority. And last week we we dealt with, um, the last couple weeks actually, we've been dealing with uh, his passage about submission. And this this next section, the section we're going to start today, is kind of a transition section as he has gone through and he's examined our relationships in the world. He's talked about the government. He's talked about husbands and wives and, and then kind of made this overall statement about submission. And now he's going to, he's going to do um, a very Peter thing, which is that he's going to take a bunch of these ideas and mash them together. And when he does it, this, this passage that we're going to explore, the passage that we read at the beginning of the service, gets misinterpreted by a lot of people who don't know what they're reading. Because they're looking at it and they're trying to, um, they're trying to make Peter into Paul, this masterful theologian who's making these, these profound theological analogies. He's not. He's an old fisherman. And so Peter's not aiming for pro- profound. He's not aiming for creative. Peter is not writing a doctoral thesis. Peter is just an everyday guy who's been transformed by Jesus and he sees a connection and he wants us to connect it. And so um, as we were reading through this morning, uh, you probably noticed that last part that we read in chapter, in chapter 3 as we were reading where it said in verse 21, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. Now how many of you read that and went, what? What, what, is, what is he talking about that? Now, there are a lot of folks, there are a lot of, of, of well-intentioned Christians who have taken this verse and some of the other verses and said, ah, see what happens is, until you get baptized with water, you're not really a Christian. You, you, you have to have that, that water somehow, when you, you, you start, before you get into the water, you're not a Christian. When you get into the water and come out, then you are a fun finished Christian. Um, and, and it sounds kind of silly, but, but to be honest, I mean, if you read this verse out of context, that's what it seems to be saying. Right? If you say, baptism which now saves you, oh, you know, oh, okay. So what is he trying to get at? And this morning, we wanted, I want to just talk very simply about one of the two most important things in the, in the, that the church observes. We have two things that we are commanded to do by Jesus. We call them the ordinances or the sacraments, and the one is baptism, and the other is the Lord's table. And we're commanded to do one once um, and one constantly. All right? And they both reflect the relationship with Christ uh, with, with God through Christ. And Peter is reflecting on this 
Um, and he's thinking of it. And if we take a look at the passage, I think it'll make a lot of sense. So, so let's go ahead and do that. All right. And I'm going to go ahead. I'm just going to begin with verse 18. I'm going to read through. We already read it once today. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, when we read that line, okay, keep the wording of that line in uh, that that verse in mind as we go further down. What does he say? He says that he who, right? Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he Who's the he? Christ might bring us, who's the us? Us, all right, to God. Sometimes biblical exegesis is not complicated, all right? Um, Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he, who? Christ, went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now, there are people that have all kinds of interesting interpretations about this, um, and it is a little bit vague, and people try to put all kinds of stuff in this, but let me, just, let, me, let me give you an idea of what I think this means. Peter understands that to be in sin without Christ is to be imprisoned by sin and death. So who does Jesus proclaim salvation to? Us. We are the ones who were imprisoned. All right? That he might bring to that he may bring us to God, because um, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. Right? We could not obey without Christ. So do you see what's going on here? What Peter's saying? He's making this all about Jesus. Jesus saves us. Jesus brings us to God. Jesus frees us from prison. Jesus brings us brings us into this relationship. We could not ab- obey. All right. Then he comes into an illustration. He says, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. I think this is actually, this is probably Peter's favorite story in the Old Testament. I think he just loves the Noah story. Because, first of all, Noah's got a boat and Peter's a fisherman. All right? Um, and and so, so he's like, sweet, a guy with a boat. I'm, I am all about this story. And so, but Peter sees in the story of Noah from the book of Genesis, he sees that, that God saves Noah. Now, does Noah save himself? No, because God reveals to Noah, hey, Noah, build an ark. What should I build it of? Go for wood, all right? They, they, you know, old Bill Cosby, you guys, wow, Bill Cosby joke, man. All right, never tell Bill Cosby joke again. All right, um, so he says, build an ark, all right? And uh, oh, I know why, it's because most of you haven't grown up with the King James Bible, you don't know that it says go for wood. All right, that's why. All right, anyway, go for as in the animal, okay? Um, it's a pun, anyway. Take my foot out of my mouth and move on. Um, he says to Noah, build an ark. And so Noah sets about building an ark. And then God says to Noah, fill the ark with you know, two, of each unclean, uh, two of each unclean animal, seven of each clean animal. Fill the ark with them. And God brings all the animals to him and Noah puts them in the places in the ark, a big, huge wooden thing, all, right, all these animals and all this stuff. And if you watched the, the movie, the Noah movie that came out the other year, then he, he waves around a lot of marijuana and they all fall asleep. That, I'm like, what is going on here? Uh, bizarre. He's like, he's got these herbs and he's waving them and all the animals fall asleep, you know? Wait, wait a second. Um, but uh, so anyway, 
Yeah, don't watch that movie. It's terrible. Uh, the, and then he gets, to, he gets to this, and then God says to Noah, okay, you go in, and I'll close the door behind you. And when Noah goes in, God closes the door and the flood comes and, you know, people are, everybody's wiped out except for Noah and his family and all the things that are in the ark. So who saved Noah? God did. But for everybody looking at what Noah was doing, who was saving Noah? Noah. They didn't hear the voice of God tell Noah to build the ark. They didn't hear the voice of God calling the animals into the ark. They didn't see Noah not pulling on a string to close that door, all right? They just saw the door close. One of the extraordinary things about God doing something in your life is that when other people look at it, they're going to think that it's you. Oh, you know, that Lee, he cleans up good. I mean, look at him. He's, he goes to church, he chases, Lee chased a bear out of his swimming pool this week. I know it wasn't in the swimming pool, but it's a better story that way. You've got to tell it that. You're going to learn how to tell the story. All right. So, uh, but there was, you know, there were bears in Merrimack. But, but, you know, if Lee and I are sitting and talking, and he's telling me about, you know, what he was, what it was like to have his life before church and finding all the connections and relationships he's been able to build and how God has done extraordinary things in his family. Somebody from the outside looking at it, go, man, Lee has really straightened himself up. I mean, he, you know, did a lot of good things. But the reality is, If you ask Lee, he'll tell you, man, God has done this. God has done this for me. But, and so when Peter tells this story, we've got to make sure we get the right perspective. From Noah's perspective, Noah was saved by Noah, by by God. But everybody else looking at it is going, wow, Noah, man, good call building that ark a hundred years ago. No one would have thought of that. So what are your odds on the Super Bowl? What are you, who are you picking? (laughs) You know, um, so, so there's an extraordinary thing that Peter is looking at. Peter is saying, wow, look at what God did, when, even when Noah wasn't completely sure that that was what God was going to do. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't get that there's this moment where Noah goes, yeah, we're building an ark, and Ham, Shem, and Japheth are helping him. Uh, Japheth, which is how his name. And um, Shem, by the way, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but Shem in Hebrew is name. His parents just named him name. I mean, it's like, thanks, mom and dad, you know, join the military. Name? Yes. All right. But anyway, the, so I had to get a laugh out of you somehow. So, so they're building the ark, and Noah, I think the whole time, Noah's kind of going, well, God told us to do it. I don't know, understand it. I don't know, you know, what's going on, and, but we're going to go ahead, and, and we're going to do this thing. And, and then after they're, on, after they're in the ark, you kind of get the idea that once Noah's in the ark and God has saved him everything, Noah can't wait to get off the ark. And can you blame him? You're in a giant wooden box with one window with two or seven of every animal that has ever walked the face of the earth. That, that had to have been, you know, it's my turn at the window. <laughs> so so they, they get through all of this, and Peter is using this illustration. He's using this Noah thing to explain, I think, what being a Christian and being submitted to God is all about. Because as he continues... He says, they were brought safely through the water. Now let me ask you another question. Did the water save Noah? What was the purpose of the water? The water was the division. I want you to think about this. The water of the flood was the division between everything beneath the water was dead. Everything in the ark was alive. You see? 
Everything in the, the water was death. The ark was salvation. So when we look at baptism now, baptism, which corresponds to this, the Greek word that he uses, antitypon, all right, or an antitype, a shadow, uh, uh, not a shadow, a reflection. An antitype, if you think about it, when you look at your reflection, everything is backwards. All right? So it is an accurate representation of what you see. It does correspond, but it is not that thing. Okay? So he says to them, he says, therefore, baptism corresponds or is a reflection of this. A reflection of what? A reflection that Noah got in a boat because God told him to get in a boat and everything that wasn't in the boat died. Baptism is a reflection of this. Baptism now saves you. So what does he mean by that statement? Baptism now saves you. Did the water save Noah? So does the water save you? No. What saves you? Peter says it. He says, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Literally, Baptism is a a reflection of the desperation of man to know God because he is dead without him. The Apostle Paul says we are buried in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. That's why we baptize by immersion. It represents that symbol. It shows us that we were dead. In the water we are dead. Because just like Noah, those who are in the ark, they're alive. Those that are in the water are dead through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See the symbolism of baptism that he's using there? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so what what the Apostle Peter is saying when he talks about this baptism is, baptism is a symbol, an antitype, a reflection of someone who is totally reliant upon God for his salvation. That's what baptism is. It's not some magical dip in holy water. Um, I've been to Israel twice, and if you go to Israel, they are willing to baptize you just about anywhere. Oh, you want to be baptized in the Jordan River? We'll baptize you in the Jordan River. 45 shekels. Oh, you want to be baptized in the pool of Bethesda? We'll baptize you in the pool of Bethesda. 45 shekels. Oh, you want to be baptized in this hole in the ground underneath a hotel? 45 shekels. All right? They, and everything in Israel is holy. You know, it's like everything in Israel is holy. You want a bottle of holy water to take home? 45 shekels. All right? Um, shekel, by the way, is their actual currency. That's That's what it's called. It's not like, I'm not joking around about, oh, buy it for camels. This is really what it is. Um, and, and everybody's, oh, well, you know, this is going to be such a spiritual experience. Somebody asked me, so when you went to, when you went to Israel, you know, did, was, it, was it spiritual? And it's, I was like, you know what? To be honest, Israel is a giant tourist trap built around ancient ruins. That, that's what it is. I mean, there are very, very few pieces in, places in Israel that I didn't walk around and go, wow, this is a very interesting church built on the possible location of a probability of possibly somebody thinking that it might have happened here, and it has absolutely nothing to do with what happened in the Bible. That, that's most of what I did in Israel. Um, you know, it, 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 it's just, I mean, and it's interesting to be in the place, but, it, but it, it's, so much of it's built up, and everybody wants to say, oh, this symbol, this thing, 
This will give you power. I was sitting in a Christian, in a Christian bookstore, which I don't go in very often, and I'm sitting next to the, um, I'm sitting next to the, I'm, I'm at the checkout, and they had a box of stones, and they had Bible verses. I'm not making this up. They had a box of stones with Bible verses in it. And the whole idea was you take the stone, you pay for the stone, you know, 45 shekels, and you're supposed to carry it around in your pocket. And when you're fearful or, or doubting or whatever, you grab the stone and you rub it. And remember the words. I'm like, I'm not a touchy-feely person, so this does nothing for me. I, I get it that some people need some kind of symbol, memento, or something like that. Here's my issue. My daughter, everywhere she goes, collects stones. I mean, she, we've got rocks from everywhere. We, we came home, our luggage coming home from Israel was almost overweight because my daughter had picked up rocks. I, I'm not kidding. Rocks and penguins. Um, that, that if you need a Bible, if you need to have a reminder of a Bible verse in order to be encouraged about something, so that you're not struggling, that's fine. But the problem is when we take that thing and we make that thing the substance of what it symbolizes, we've we've erred. Baptism represents to us our death in sin and our resurrection in Christ. That's what baptism is. If you were not trusting Christ before you got wet, uh, if you were not a believer before you got wet, then you were a sinner, a dry sinner before and a dry sinner after. Okay? That's how it works. But if you have given your life to Christ, that baptism symbol is the ultimate representation of my death and my life in Christ. And then Peter follows through on this at the very end. He says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now remember what this passage is about. It's about submission to powers and authorities. So Peter has taken us all the way through and he said, look, we, we the Christians, we the followers of Christ, we, we deal with submission to authority that we may not agree with. We, we live in a world ruled by Caesar. And that world has unjust laws. And that world has people who want to do us harm. And that world has things that are in opposition to the revealed word of God. And it's hard to submit to the authorities that have been set over us. And we live in a world where we are are married, husbands and wives, married to human beings who make mistakes and do bad things. And, And being called into submission in those relationships is hard. He says, but then we remember that we, like Noah... We're destined for death. And God built an ark. And we were saved from the waters through the resurrection of Christ. And that Christ, when He was raised from the dead, He didn't just stop here on earth. He just kind of went on, kept on going. And now He's seated at the right hand of God with all power and authority subject to Him. So who are you going to be afraid of? That's what he's asking. He says, who do you think is ultimately in charge? Now remember that Peter lives in Rome under some of the craziest people that have ever ruled a government. 
Caligula and Nero and, and the, the normalist one was Claudius and he was crazy. I mean, they're, they're, he just reminds us, he says, but don't forget who sits on the right hand of God, who has ascended into heaven. And you are baptized into life through him. So no matter what life throws at you, you, no matter how bad things get, no matter how difficult it is to be a follower of Christ, just remember that the one to whom all power and authority is subject is the one who has saved you. That's an extraordinary thought. It's an extraordinary thought to process as a human being going through life because sometimes we encounter things that drive us absolutely nuts. Don't we? I mean, there are certain things. We're in York, Maine, all right? And I don't know what it is about people on the beach, all right? But why am I not allowed to take my dog anywhere? Essentially, it might as well be illegal to have a dog in Maine. Uh, you're not allowed to take them on walking trails. You're not allowed to take them in some neighborhoods. You're not allowed to take them on the beach. I mean, why, why, why should I even, I, I, you know, it's like, uh, it's crazy. Now, of course, the people in Maine just ignore all those laws. So we're walking along the beach with our dog on the leash, and there's 47 million dogs out on the beach. And my wife and daughter are going, well, you know, if they're doing it, why, why can't we do it? I'm like, yeah, that's a good lesson to teach the kid. Walk the dog, walk the dog. Um, anyway, so, but we're there and there are all these rules and they're driving me nuts and it's crazy and everything is going nuts and you know, all this stuff and, and these are minor things. But the reality is we, we look at it and we run up against things that are hard and difficult and we say, why is this in our lives and why do we have to face this and what's the, what's the point of all this and, and, oh, I hate this confrontation, oh, I hate this situation, I, you know, I wish that it didn't happen. And, and this is one of the extraordinary things about our faith. We're supposed to be able to look back to that moment when we were baptized and say, I was baptized into the salvation of the one who has authority over all things. And so even though this situation might be a temporal problem or a difficult challenge or I might be frustrated at this moment, the reality is I don't need to look at this moment to endure this moment. What I need to do is remember whose I am and who brought me through the waters of death. And that's an extraordinary idea. It's something to process this week. I hope that you will. Um, I hope you'll think about it. Maybe you're, you're on the beginning of your spiritual journey and you're saying, you know what, I think I'm ready to make that commitment. I'm ready to be baptized. I'm ready to declare that I'm a follower of Christ, that I was dead without him and he has done something. I'd love to talk with you this morning. I'd love to have the opportunity to be a part of that part of your life as we, as we baptize. It takes us next to no time to fill the tank. It takes us about two days to warm it up. So if you're into a cold water baptism, we'll do it right away. Um, but... Uh, but we're, we, that's one of the things we love. It's one of the reasons we're Baptists. Baptists believe there is something significant, not something supernatural about baptism, but there's something significant about that moment in our lives when we're baptized. Um, and we, we, rec- we tell the world this. So we'd love to be a part of that part of your life. I'm going to close in a word of prayer, but we're going to end our service a little bit differently. Um, at the end of the service, we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to pray and I'm going to benedict you and... The elders are going to come and they're going to join me at the front of the auditorium. 
And um, maybe there's someone, maybe you're out here and you just need someone to pray with you. You say, I just need, I just, there's something in my life that I, I'd like to have someone pray with me about this. I just, I need somebody else praying with me about this situation. The elders are going to join me on the platform. We're going to dismiss the service. You're, you're all free to go downstairs and get a cup of coffee or whatever. But if, there, if there's something you'd like someone to pray with you, myself and Greg and, and uh, Bob and, and Tom uh, and Steve, I have to go through my head and make sure we get everybody. Um, we're all going to be down here. You can just grab one of us and say, I just like prayer for this. And we'll just pray with you very quickly. And you'll know that somebody is praying with you through the week in that matter. Okay? This is a very simple thing. But let me go ahead and close in prayer and then uh, go ahead and, and give the benediction and, and we'll, we'll go from that, that time. I'm going to invite the elders to come up and join me now. They could.